So here we go. Here we go. Get down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? This whole party. Down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? This whole party. Greetings, everyone out there in D and D world. I am your host, Sean Merwin of Down with D and D, and we are incredibly fortunate today. To have with us none other than Sly Flourish himself, Mr. Mike Shea. Mike, thank you so much for coming on to talk D&D with us. Thank you for having me. The pleasure is all mine. Oh, I think the pleasure will be all, all our listeners. Well I'll, well, I'll be full of pleasure. Well, well pleased? <laughs> well, I'll be well pleased. Excellent. We, we like that. We like pleasure. I was, trying, I was trying to figure, like, how am I going to say this and not make it sound dirty? Yeah, well, you know, everything. I don't think I succeeded, days. yeah. Yeah, D&D, it's all about the uh, you know weird names that you twist into <laughs> horribly perverted things. Right. So we're off to a great start. Excellent. So if anyone out there doesn't know Mike's work at Sly Flourish, let me drop some knowledge on you. Uh, Mike started a very popular blog a few years back called, appropriately, SlyFlourish.com. Uh, from there, he released a book called The Lazy Dungeon Master, which looked at helping DMs more efficiently and effectively prepare their games. More help guides followed, including Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master and The Lazy DM's Workbook. Uh, for most, that would have been a career, but no, <laughs> not for Mike, though. Uh, Mike also has been creating adventure content, including Sly Flourish's Fantastic Locations, Sly Flourish's Fantastic Adventures, and most recently... Fantastic Adventures, Ruins of the Grendel Root. Uh, Mike also hosts a podcast called DM's Deep Dive with Mike Shea. And last but not least, uh, you have streamed a one-on-one -on -one game with Enrique Newbie DM Barrera, where you were uh, playing Dragon of Ice Spire Peak with you as DM and Newbie as the player. Whew. So, <laughs> so I know you've done other work. Uh, you d worked with... Uh, Teo Sabadilla and Scott Gray yep. on a product for Wizards uh, that was called uh, Vault of the Dracolich. That's right, and uh, I know you've done writing for the Adventures League as well. Yep, yep. yeah. One so, one tiny correction is Enrique Bertrand is newbie DM. Oh, did I say Barrera? You said Barrera. I don't know who that is. Uh, okay, sorry, Bertrand. <laughs> uh, so thank you for correcting me on that because I know that I must have. I don't know if autocorrect kicked in or what. Uh, <laughs> Damn you, Siri. So, yes. So what brought you into this world of writing about D&D as well as playing D&D? Uh, I, I, I decided – so I've been writing blogs forever, right? I, I've had mm -hmm. blogs since uh, the late – even the mid-'90s when they were called, like, mm -hmm. Dot Plans. There was a guy named John Carmack. He's still around. He did Doom. He made the okay. video game Doom, and he used to do these things called the dot plan, which I guess is some Unix thing. And mm -hmm. he, I, I like that idea, so I was writing about Doom and writing about other things. And then I got involved in home theater stuff, and I wrote about home theater stuff. And then I got heavily involved in EverQuest, and I wrote tons of fan fiction for the game EverQuest, and uh, then uh, started in on D&D. &D. And I'd always been playing d I'd been playing D&D &D since I was like 14 so it was it was easy to come back. And the nice thing is that I, I had my I think I probably had 
more than a million words written in various blog formats before I started writing about D&D. So I was very comfortable saying like, I'm going to write a weekly blog and not, and actually do it. Right. <laughs> like most people right. are like, I'm going to do a weekly blog. And then like eight posts in, they're like, I'm sorry, yeah. I haven't posted in two years. Right. You know? yeah. And, yeah, and so I, I, I kind of knew how much I could write and, and how to keep my own schedule and all of that. So I wanted, I also wanted to focus on something specific and at the time, the fourth edition of D&D was just coming out. There was, uh, I, I kind of got in early on that. I saw like the early play test. Well, they didn't really play test it, but I saw like the early uh, uh, previews of it at Winter Fantasy mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C., back sure. when it was in D.C. And so I, I wanted to write a blog about 4E D&D because it was this like ground floor opportunity to sort of write about this new version of the game. And there weren't a lot of bloggers that were talking about it. It was like six or seven of us, Enrique Bertrand being one of the other bloggers that wrote about it at the time. Sure. And uh, I also said, I, I don't want to just write about D&D. I want to pick something specific. And I want to, so what if I focus it on DMing? And, you know, we, we all have known for a long time that, that it's hard to get people to DM the game. There's always mm -hmm. more players willing to play than there are DMs willing to run there's a fair bit going on there. So I said, well, why don't I just focus on trying to help all of us, myself included, get better at being a DM and, and ideally help people who haven't DM'd uh, get into the seat and give them, give them something that makes it a little easier for them to, to, to DM. So the sure. site, yeah, so Sly Flourish has always, the, the website has always had that focus. I try to make it not about me and, and I, I work pretty hard. There's two things that I do in the blog uh, that, I, that I pay a fair bit of attention to. One is I really don't feel like anybody does or should care about what I'm doing. I think they should care about what they're doing and what we're all doing together. Mm -hmm. and, and the other one is that I really feel like I am in the seat next to the person that's reading it. I'm not dictating to them. So it kind of drives editors crazy because I use a lot of we. You know, I'll mm -hmm. say like, you know, when we're when we're playing Ghost of Salt Marsh, maybe we should think about X, Y, and Z. And people right. are like, "What that? You know, why are you saying we?" And I was like, "Because I'm running it, and you're running it, right? And we're right. both figuring this out together." So I really right. try to put myself in the in the position that, uh, you know, I, I I always try to write as though I don't, I'm not the authoritative, you know, the mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the, the the authoritative uh, uh, creator of this idea because I'm not, right. and um and that we're we're really exploring this infinitely big discipline together yeah so and and, and that's the funny thing about D D is right th there aren't any new ideas mm -hmm. or very few because you know people will see something and say oh that's so great that's the most creative thing i've ever seen and it's basically a ripoff of like white plume mountain right i mean right? we are at the point where people <laughs> are writing I, I noticed this the other day people are writing like game supplements that they're charging money for that are essentially uh including rules that are in the dungeon master's guide as, sure. al as alternate rules and we're like right. it's in there like you don't need to have a whole supplement it's right it's right there on like page 260 right right because i mean players don't necessarily read the dm's guide and <laughs> right. dms don't necessarily read the dm's guide it's right? a lot easier to buy a product on drive through rpg than it is to read a dungeon master's guide right it's, it's true <laughs> right it's true it's it's i just took this chapter out and and here it is right. uh but so one of the things that's been on my mind recently is is new DMs, yep. right? And as you said, with fourth edition, you saw this opportunity and this need for uh, advice for DMs, mm -hmm. and we're we're to the point now where we need that more than ever because we have a huge audience of people watching streams, a huge audience of people listening to podcasts, 
and they're ready to take that step into playing or DMing. But what you see on a podcast or a stream or what you hear isn't necessarily easily translatable to you stepping behind the screen. I, yeah, I think it's I think it's easier than it was, though. Right. Mm -hmm. That. I think one of the things that has made D&D &D as popular as it is now, and, and, and Wizards of the Coast has said as much in, in, in when they've been talking about it, and they actually have, I think they hire survey folks to actually go out there and, and poll and survey the community, mm -hmm. uh, which is more than we can do when we're just poking around on Twitter. Yep. Uh, and they, they have said that being able, people being able to see what D&D &D looks like now is a huge mm -hmm. improvement over the way D&D &D was absorbed back in the you know 70s 80s and 90s and two, sure. early 2000s that you didn't really know what dnd looked like you know mm -hmm. you didn't like you'd read the book and the book would have these sort of scripted like here's what a game looks like and here's what the dm says and here's what the player says but mm -hmm. that still wasn't like but what does it actually look like and now we right. have uh, we have way more examples of what dnd looks like than we could ever watch and that's pretty that's pretty amazing it is true and i think my point was it's one thing to watch something. It's another thing to do something. Sure. Yeah. So it, it is easier in the sense that you, you know, you don't go in. It's not a total mystery. Right. Um, but there are techniques that maybe a DM that they're watching on a stream uses that they, a DM who says, okay, I'm going to run my own game now, doesn't quite understand. Sure. Yeah. And so all the, what, you know, we, we as fans of D&D wonder how, can wizards help, you know, implement this new uh, DM pool into a into a frame of mind and, and with a product that will help them? Right. And so, one of the things that I want to talk to you about specifically, because of your background with you know helping DMs through your blog and through your books, but also you know as a DM who has been running the essentials kit adventure um how does that work as a new dm tool um so i want specifically to talk to you about that sure uh and it's even more important i think because when you were running it uh with newbie dm you were running it one-on-one -on -one right yep. with one player and one sidekick which the uh which the product says it supports but as I read the product and you know reviewed it and and tried to suss out how it could be used, I I was like I don't know how you can do this. <laughs> so you know it's interesting. Your experience with that is is something that I want to drop on as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so could you give us just kind of an overview of what the D and D Essentials Kit uh, has and how it's how it's used? Sure. Uh, yeah, so so the DD Essentials Kit sits on top of or a, next to uh, the original D and D starter set, mm -hmm. and how those two products interact, I think, is still un, unclear. Okay, uh, but it is it, there. There are definite differences that it has between the starter set. The starter set's been around for five years. It was the first. Mm -hmm. I think it was the first fifth edition product that came out. Yes, and uh, it has been played extensively over the past five years. It is, yeah. uh, you know, I think more than yeah, many. 
every time that I've seen a new dungeon master go onto either Facebook or Twitter mm-hmm. or Reddit or any place and say, "Hey, how should I get started playing D anD D?" Everybody says, "Go start with the starter set." Yep, and I was just going to make that yeah, point. <laughs> that, that it is a, and I still think that that is the best way to start, even with mm-hmm. the essentials kit being out. The essentials kit okay. is a fantastic product, and I love it. And I think that there's a specific area that it falls into. But I think if you still want to get an understanding of what D&D is like, the starter set, I think, is a better start. And I'll, I, can, okay. I can talk about I'm why. Gonna, yeah. I was just going to say, I'm going to ask you why. Yeah, so, for, so one reason is that it starts with pre-gen characters. And mm-hmm. I think it's easier for people to understand D&D, specifically if they're a new player, by being handed a pre-gen and then learning from the pre-gen than it is mm-hmm. for them to spend a long time building a character from scratch. That's an right. arguable point. I've heard, I know other people would argue the other side of that. And, yeah. and I think di- different circumstances you know, right. will, will, will depend. Yeah, that, that was one thing I was really noodling over uh, you know, as I was thinking about this because the, the starter set absolutely had, was it five or six yeah, pre-gens? Six pre-gens, yeah. Six pre-gens. And six, I think it's six. Yeah, it's you know, it's enough to to have a whole party, yeah, right? And and in my experience with new players trying to teach them the game, uh, pre gens, good, well made pre gens are super important, right? And then I thought, with with the new people who are coming to the game, who have seen streams, who have seen or heard podcasts, a lot of them know what they want to play. Mm-hmm. And, and they don't want to pre-gen necessarily. They want to start their own story. And and so that's, I was wondering, when I opened the Essentials Kit and was looking at it, the, you know, a couple of years ago, basically, um, what, why no pre-gens? Right. And that was, that was my thought was, so you know, I, yeah. making people sit down and make a pre-gen, I think, is is great, except if you have these people who are, totally new to the game and they they're like okay i'm going to give this a shot and you take four hours to build a group of pre-gens with your players and then you're like next time we're gonna play right. <laughs> um you you tend to maybe lose some of those players yeah and and the reality is like i don't i don't know that i mean maybe you know i don't think either you or i really know right like no, i think you're that right. You know, it's hard. It's hard to know en masse like how that actually plays out, and I presume that sure. there's probably a lot of ways that it goes. One one interesting thing that occurred to me pretty late when in playing the Essentials Kit and kind of trying to figure out some of the things that they did in the design is that I think that these two products work better together than mm-hmm. they do apart, and I think it, it's probably hard to say like, well, if you want to get started, buy both boxes. But I think that it, there's a there's an argument to be had of like. You're, you're certainly not going to go wrong if you own both boxes. Mm-hmm. And, and if you do have both boxes, there's a lot you can do with them. Like, and, yes. and then you have that mix of, do you want a pre-gen? You got pre-gens in the starter set. Do you want to make mm-hmm. a character? You can make a character in the essentials kit. So, mm-hmm. so when, yeah, when we talk about like, what the essentials kit has, just I'll, I'll give a quick rundown of mm-hmm. the things that are included. You know, you know this very well, but for anybody that's listening. So uh, it has a uh, core rule book in it, like a you know, rule book that describes how to play the game. It has character creation rules for five different classes, uh, which include subclasses. So it's not just the D&D basic stuff. It actually includes uh, subclasses that you would find in the player's handbook, which is pretty interesting. It has the four core classes, the wizard, fighter, 
cleric, thief, but then it also includes a bard, which I think is a really good, a really good yeah. choice. Uh, it has a lightweight DM screen that everybody seems to complain about because <laughs> it's really thin cardboard. But it's like, man, it's twenty bucks. What do you, you know, twenty bucks for the whole yeah. box? Let's not complain about the the thickness yeah. of the cardboard of the screen. And I think it's just fine. Right. But I also don't use yeah. a DM screen, so it's easier. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, it's got a nice map in it, and then mm-hmm. it's got uh, oh, so it's got a whole stack of cards. And the cards have everything like it's got initiative cards like like uh, Teo Sabadia style initiative cards. It's mm-hmm. got um, cards for magic items. It has uh, picture cards for NPCs. It's got quest cards so that describe the quests that are going on in the game. So they use this idea. They're all punch out sheets of, mm-hmm. of cards, but all those cards are like physical things you can sort of drop on the table uh, yeah. and and use. And I think that that's a really that was a really good design. That that was, and especially like the NPC cards or yeah. the sidekick cards, yeah. you know, to be able to show people a picture, and that's something they did, you know, back if, uh, when they were transitioning from fourth to fifth in the D and D encounters games, right. right? They would send out those packets to the game stores, and and a lot of them you could get an NPC card. So right. if you were talking, yep. you could hold it up and people could see it, and that really captures the imagination of new players. Yeah, yeah, and it's not it's something that I don't do enough and should. Uh, you know, just my own my own game last Wednesday. One of my players was like, "Man, there's like seven NPCs that all." And I'm like, "I have no idea who you're talking about." And I was like, yeah. "Man, I should have pulled. I've got them. They're sitting upstairs. I should have pulled right. out those face cards and just been like, here's this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy.' And they're like, oh, it's that dude with the weird thing on his face.' Yeah. So yeah, um, so it was, yeah, it was definitely a good idea. And the adventure, uh, and it has an adventure that's included in it called mm-hmm. Dragon of Spire Peak. Uh, the other interesting thing it has is the only place where Wizards has this are, are as you mentioned, rules to play one player and a sidekick so mm-hmm. that you can play D&D with just a DM and a single player. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 don't, I don't say I was skeptical. I was really hopeful that that, mm-hmm. that, that would work. And, yeah, so, so Enrique and I had talked a lot about this box and uh and everything that was in it and and both of us wanted to try the one-on-one rule so we said well let's just do it like let's do a streaming game you know we'll we'll get together so i i you know we both happen to have friday mornings free in our schedules and we said why don't we record a game and we did and and i'm really really glad we did and both of us had talked multiple times about how surprised we were at how much fun it was to play Mm -hmm. D &D one-on-one that both of us came to the conclusion that nothing, nothing was lost mm-hmm. playing one-on-one. That there, there were arguments, you know, a fair number of arguments of like, well, four players is really about right. And I made these arguments, right? That you would, you know, four players is right. You want to have a lot of brains around the table and that the creativity is going to come from the mashing of these different brains that are at the table and the mashing of these ideas. And that's where the really fantastic stories are going to come out. And I think that that's true. But I think mm-hmm. when you have two people that are, that are friends and both, very, you know, both creative people, uh, you can come up like, and we just had we just had a ball. We both of us had mm-hmm. so much fun playing that game, and and you could get so much done, right? Like yeah, you can. Right. We we got through. So I think we did nine sessions. They were about mm-hmm. an hour and a half, an hour to an hour and a half each, and mm-hmm. got through the whole adventure, right? From mm-hmm. from from level one to level. I think you got to level seven, right? right. In 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 like ten hours. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and you can just you can do a lot. Right. You can you can you can really because you only have one player. So there's not a right. lot of like people waiting for other people's turns. Sure. You know, there's there's a big advantage in that. And yeah. uh, so it helped that I'm pretty experienced in running D&D and mm-hmm. I knew how to kind of watch out for things when right. trying to scale the adventure for mm-hmm. one 
for one player and one sidekick. It definitely helps to have a sidekick. And, right. you know, having two characters so that if one person's down, the other one can drop a healing potion on them. Sure. It makes a big difference in, in, in situations. But the other thing is so much fun to have a role play opportunity. Right. Where Enrique ran his character, Barundar, and mm-hmm. he controlled the sidekick of Bing, who was a mm-hmm. healer, halfling healer type. But right. I role played Bing. Okay. And, and that way we had this banter back and forth, and it just grew and grew. And, like, both of us really felt like we didn't just understand our character. We understood each other, and we understood mm-hmm. the relationship. And that is something you don't get in a four-on-one or five-on-one D&D game. True. You get a little bit of it, but, like, it, the only – you know, the, the number one NPC interaction was occurring between these two characters, and it was mm-hmm. pretty constant through the whole game. And yeah. it was hysterical. We were having so much fun, you know. So yeah, it was yeah. really a surprise, and I and a and a cool. lovely surprise. Okay, so the question I have to ask now, yeah. and it's going to take me a minute to ask this question. Um, I was hired to write a follow up yes. to Dragon of Ice Spire Peak, and this was before the the Dragon of Ice Spire Peak was even finished. We were working on the follow ups, and one of the instructions was. It needs to be playable by one player and a sidekick. Right. So make sure you can scale it properly. Now, we didn't have any any instruction. Right, right. On, make sure on, to scale it properly. We're not telling right, you how. Right, right. And, it, I mean, it's okay. Right. right. And so the, one of the first is things this, I this did. This is Stormlord's Wrath? Uh, Stormlord's Wrath, okay. correct. Uh, so, you know, one of the things I did was as soon as the box had actually came out, uh, it came out at this same time that the adventures that we wrote, uh, Teo, uh, not Teos, uh, James and Tricasso and Will Doyle right. each wrote uh, uh, you know, parts of the, the three adventures that followed. Um, the first thing I did was open the box and say, how did they do this? Right. right. And uh, they didn't do it like I did it. So I'm like, okay, so how did you find that as a DM? Uh to have some, having something in front of you that had to be runnable by a player and a sidekick or by a group of six players. Well, the nice thing was I didn't have. So I, I'm just I, I just popped open your your adventure here on D and D Beyond mm-hmm. uh, to see like you know, and I just grabbed like the first encounter to see how you did it, and you did it the same right. way they did it in the other ones, or at least okay. I don't know in in post editing or whatever if it, right. you know how it worked out, but. You know, there's this new nomenclature of the attacking creature. I'm reading from your adventure back to you. Uh, The the attacking creatures are comprised of one zombie per player character and one wraith per every two characters rounded down, including sidekicks. Right. A little complicated. But um, that that you know, that that generally works. Right. And I and I think that idea of just scaling the number of monsters directly with the number of characters uh, Mm -hmm. works on its own for the most part. Right. The the only tricky bits come like when you have monsters who can incapacitate a character directly. Right. Or if you have like a, a solo, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. if you have, I don't know, a white dragon. You know, right. <laughs> one player, one character and one and one, you know, sidekick are supposed to defeat. Right. Um Yeah, one of the things I mean, the the first three quests from Dragon of Ice Spire Peak. Yeah. And we're gonna have spoilers galore here, yeah. so just you know, bear with us. Uh is a manticore. Yeah, right. Right, and it, and it's not the manticore has right. you know half hit points. Right. If it, it's 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 a manticore, boom, or it's it's all of these ochre jellies. Right, and and that's it. Yeah, and so I'm like, Whoa, okay, so that's not really scaling right. at all. Yeah. 
and so I was, you know, I didn't see it right away how they were going to do it. I think so. I have a, I have a, yeah, a complaint in a theory. Uh, mm-hmm. My my complaint is that I think other than scaling the adventures properly for first level characters, I would say the D and D Essentials Kit is nearly perfect, mm-hmm. right? As a as a as a product that's designed to kind of bring people into D and D, give them a, a a low cost product with a lot of stuff in it that feels like D and D. That that really kind of gets them involved. I think it's nearly perfect. I think it's number one problem are the things that you mentioned, which are that the first three to four ish, three to five ish quests put very powerful monsters up against first level characters. Okay, and 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 you're doing it with DMs who may be new. Mm-hmm. And you're doing it with players who are almost certainly, well, not always certainly new. I mean, sure, veterans can play this, too. But sure. like an ochre jelly is not a good monster for a first level character it's going to get its ass kicked the character is yeah. going to get its ass kicked right i mean not only is it hard for players right it's hard for dms yeah it's, okay now it does it split now right is it, yeah, and and okay, that's it's, so it's, so yeah. right this is my the first thing that happened when enrique and you can watch it i i so you know i'll give it a little shameless plug enrique we we, we played this online on twitch and yeah. we put them on youtube so there's actually yep. a nine there's nine episodes of this on on the sly flourish youtube channel and we will have a link in the show Thank notes. You. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and you can see how we kind of struggled through this. We struggled through a lot of things, including how the hell to record a show. That was a whole <laughs> other problem. But um, yeah, and and I just cheated, right? Like I just ignored the fact that the ochre jelly splits. But if you think mm-hmm. about it, like Enrique was playing a fighter, a Burundar, a fighter with a with a axe, and all he mm-hmm. could do is slash stuff. Right. And and the, you know when you slash an ochre jelly, it splits into more ochre jellies. Right. So he's hosed, right? He had no – not to mention the fact that it hits for uh, tw- nine, 12 points yeah. of damage on a hit. Right. N- nine plus three acid. Yeah, nine right. plus three yeah. acid. It's just going to knock people right out. Right. And so it's a, it's a terrible monster. And I think there's multiples of them if you have more mm-hmm. than one. I think there's two that are lurking around. And then right. there's multiples of them if you if – you, I think you can you, – you, they add – if you have more than a certain number of characters, you add another. Sure. So yeah, like I just you know I just it boggled my mind that ochre jellies were there at level one. Like it's such a, mm. and and to me it was just like, it, you know it's a it's an error that could have such big repercussion. Like you think like why argue about ochre jellies? But imagine you got brand new people that are going to play this game and their first experience is getting their ass kicked by this creature who's pretty complicated to play. And they're like, you know what, this game's not for me. And now you yeah. killed an entire generation, <laughs> right? Thousands of years, people aren't going to be playing D and D because this one guy wanted to play and instead of fighting a gray ooze which is a very reasonable monster to fight right. they're fighting an ochre jelly now the, yeah. the manticore uh is another one now the man you know and, and right like if you if a dm is playing that manticore like they you know they would normally mm-hmm. it's going to kill mm-hmm. people right that mm-hmm. manticores are nasty right. but there's some pretty easy fixes so i, mm-hmm. I gave the fix for the ochre jellies this is replace them with a gray ooze right gray oozes okay. are much more reasonable they don't right. split and all that they're still they're exactly the same except they're gray mm-hmm. instead of yellow and, yeah. you know, they're very easy to fit in. Uh, and the Manticore, the way I ran the Manticore is it had half the hit points it normally had. It had been wounded mm-hmm. by the White Dragon. It had used mm-hmm. up all of its tail spines. Okay. And, uh, and it really just wanted healing potions because it's hurt. So right. it's a much better role play opportunity than it is mm-hmm. a battle. And, yeah. and that's yeah, how, that, that's that's how it played true. out. Yeah, that's how it played out in, uh, when, when Enrique ran it. And having listened to, you know, I, 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 I'm, I follow the uh, Dragon of Icefire Peak Facebook group so I can kind of see how people are doing it there. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of them ran the Manticore situation. They, they recognize that that's a better role play scene than it is a fight. 
Yeah. Uh, but then there's another one shortly thereafter where you're dealing with were rats, and were rats are mm -hmm. immune to non magical weapons. Yeah. And you know you're gonna have nothing but non magical weapons. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so so that's a real or silver, right? Silver to non magical weapons. So you gotta like right. make sure that the characters have a way to get around that, or you right. know, or their hose, or again another role play yeah. scene. Right. And and all of those things are fine to do at low level as long as you give. I mean, it's a it's a great learning experience for new players, right? Is here's a monster you can't just beat it down, but oh, remember that so and so gave you five flasks of oil, right? Yeah. Well, there you there's your answer, and you know that aha moment can make a generation of D and D players fall in it, love with I, it. I, yeah. Be I'd argue the only thing is like they still don't know what a skill check is, right? We're we're tr true. <laughs> we're, we're talking no, about no, new but, players, yeah. Right, right. But, but but if you give them a hint, yeah. Right? If you if you say, you know, the the sage mentions that fire can hurt certain creatures, right. or, you know, something, yeah. Just a, a DM, know, and this is the, yeah. You know, I tried to do this. So the good news is like I wrote an article on Sly Flourish about this. And it is now the number one most viewed article on Sly Flourish, <laughs> you know, of, of all the articles that I've ever posted there. And I'm happy right. about it because more than anything, I want people to be able to buy this thing and run it and not and, and enjoy D&D &D and not sure. get turned off of D&D &D because they got killed by a stupid ogre jelly. And <laughs> the um, yeah. And, 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 a, and a DM who is armed with the with the understanding that ogre jellies are, are bad and that right. manticores are bad and that were rats are bad. If they're forewarned, they'll have those opportunities to foreshadow stuff and to put things in the hands of players and, and the characters so that they can deal with it. Mm -hmm. you know, and hopefully they do, right? And more than anything, I want to be wrong about this. And I want people to just love the D&D &D Essentials kit and, and start them on the road to, to this hobby that we love so much. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I don't – yeah. I, I, I think it's, me writing an article is not solving the problem because way more people are going to have this than are going to read the article. <laughs> Sure. But maybe they'll Google it. Maybe they'll find out. But probably after right. the fact. Like, man, I killed everybody. What did I do wrong? <laughs> um, yeah. So, so uh, yeah. So the interesting thing there is I don't, I don't actually think it's a big deal with the number of characters, right? Like that mm – -hmm. certainly fighting a Manticore when you have one player character and one sidekick versus four characters is going to be a very different experience. But, but at these low levels, like, people are still going to drop if they get hit by these things anyway. So oh, yeah. it kind of doesn't matter too much uh, how it scales for different for – different, um, yeah, for different numbers of characters. Yeah. Well, I mean, having the DM learn early that you're in charge, and if you want to kill characters, you can. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to let them live, you can. That just needs to be spelled out, I, I guess, in the in the text, right? There, there, Is... Yeah. There's this other sort of – and it bothers me a little bit. There's this idea – that like D and D needs to be hard and lethal, and we've seen mm -hmm. people, Wizards of the Coast, who talk about like, look, you know, D and D is a challenge; you know, it should be a challenging game where lethality is a real, a real thing that can happen. And and I agree, except it's funny how that stops after level five, right? right. And then all of a sudden, at level sixteen, you're just not going to get killed by anything. Right. <laughs> like the monsters would, are, it, the monsters yeah. are so much weaker. I actually did some math. I was like, how hard does a pit fiend have to be to be the equivalent of an ochre jelly at level one? And it would have to hit for like 270 damage a hit, right? It, had, you know, it has to unleash such way more damage than it actually does. So, yeah, that, I, I would agree that like there should be a hard mode dial where if like you want, you know, if you want D&D &D to be this hardcore lethal game, but it should be hard all the way to 20, not just at mm -hmm. level one. Right? Yeah. And level yeah, one mean, should be it, the least hard level. Right. In my experience, right, you can never, you can't write an, 
a first level adventure that's easy enough. Right. And you can't yes. write like a, a level 11 yes, or higher that's adventure hard that's hard that's enough. That's exactly yeah. right. There's this weird power scale. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. Now, now, one of the things I think that the Essentials Kit does beautifully, and it does a lot of things beautifully, yeah. is is th- this quest system. Yeah. Uh, could you want to talk about that? Sure. For a second? Yeah. So, so they really, again, kind of went way back to the basics of D and D, and instead of having some kind of like major story that sort of expands in the beginning of the game, they just say there's you go to the inn and there's a quest board, and the local town mayor has put three quests up on the quest board, and you can go and read them, and there's there's handouts that are included in the in the box, and uh, the 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 players can read them and then pick which quest they want to go on. And they pick a quest and they go on that one and they level up and they come back and they pick the second quest and they go and they come do that quest and level up. And then at that point, the remaining quest is removed and three new quests are put up that are getting them to the next set. And it's this really just like straightforward basic system. It would almost, certainly there are DMs who are like, that is too basic. Like we're better than that. Like we're better than having to have like a note on a, board a job board right but when you're thinking about again sort of the core of D and for new people and what that's like it is really hard to make it easier than you are adventurers seeking work here's a board with jobs on it mm-hmm. right that's such a straightforward way to to do D. but i did joke right. about the fact that like i wonder how that works at 12th level right <laughs> like you know do you still have quest boards you know, with, yeah. hey, the Lich yeah, per- King is uh, giving us trouble. If you could take care of that guy, we'd really appreciate it. We'll give hey, you, Bob, 50, could you uh, 50,000 gold if you take care of the Lich King. Right. right. It, but it's a, it's, a great, um, it's a great segue into how people consume not just uh, D&D, but all media at this point in, in our life, mm-hmm. which is in little bits. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so... You know, back when, you know, we were playing first edition or, or, you know, whatever your earliest edition is, and we had these epic quests and these two-year, three-year, four-year, five-year campaigns where you played for, you know, three months before you gained a level playing every week. And, and you know, you had 10,000 NPCs memorized and you knew their backstories. And all that's great, but that's not the way people consume anymore. Yeah, and I heard Chris Perkins talking about this, right? Oh, yeah, and and if, hang on. Let me bookmark that part of the conversation. There's one other thing that okay. I think is really interesting about the ochre jellies. I want to talk about the ochre jellies again. Okay. <laughs> and then I'll come back, which is uh, when I talked about how these two boxes work well together, that, that the starter set and the essentials kit you know, work well side by side, one of the things I heard is that Wizards of the Coast specifically didn't want to duplicate monsters between the two boxes. And hmm. the reason why we have ochre jellies is because they already use gray oozes in Fandelver. Interesting. And when I, when I looked at that and looked at the two, I was like, wow, that, that's really right. Like, the, the, there's very little. It's funny. Like, I was like, what, there's no bandits? You know, how, yeah. how do you have a first, you know, tier one thing with no bandits in it? Or, right. And there aren't any, right? So there's mm. a few overlaps, but they're really rare. And, mm. and I think it's because one of the design ideas was that you could use these together and that a DM who had both of them would now have a set of monsters that were complementary to one another instead of, a, instead of an overlap. So, yeah. Yeah, so that, I didn't realize that, but you know, that's it's the be- it, it, So I don't know it's true, but right. it was the best argument that I heard uh, about gotcha. why the designs of these things were the way they were. The way they, the way they yeah. were. Huh. That reminded me of the other 
question that I picked. Okay. So we were talking about con- how we consume games, yes, basically. Right. Yeah, and, and so one of the things – yeah, so I, I'm, and I'm sure, you know, as a very seasoned adventure writer yourself that you, you look at these things and try to digest its structure and, like, what were the mm-hmm. designers thinking. And I, I think it's fascinating that these adventures use way fewer words mm-hmm. overall – than yeah. adventures that we're used to. Like you, you look at these monster adventures like Curse of, or like uh, Descent into Avernus and, right. and Tomb of Annihilation that are, you know, 100,000, 150,000 word campaign adventures. And then you look at this one and like most of the quests are two to four pages. They're like, yeah. I think they're like, I, I think maybe, I don't even think they break 2,000 words for the largest quest. Yeah. And they're really, really, like the text is really light. And, and mm-hmm. I heard Chris Perkins, who said that they are thinking hard at Wizards of the Coast about the fact that people just aren't reading big things like they used to read big things. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, everything needs to be tweet-sized these days, which bothers me a little as a writer. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. As it should. <laughs> for, for those of us paid by the word. Yeah, right. That, like, yeah. it bothers me that we don't sit and read. But on the other hand, you're like, well, you could, you know, wring your hands and argue, or you can try to understand it and, and see what you can do. And, and I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, the fewer, fewer words, the better. I always felt, you know, I'll, I'll complain a little bit about, like, Adventures League Adventures, is that the idea that the default size for those was always 10,000 words. Yeah. And you're like, I don't, you know, I remember I wrote one. I'm like, I don't need 10,000 words. I can do this easily in five. Right. Yeah, it's, you know, it, that, it, that's, that's another, it's almost another format, right? It's, there's an audience for that already, and that audience expects that kind of format. So, you know, that's one reason why I can write one thing in one format and then go over to the Adventures League and say, okay, with this, I'm, I may get a DM who's picking this up to run it in 20 minutes. Right. Um, and they want things spelled out, right? They want to know what everyone is saying and if the characters do this, what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I can forgive that wordiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that in that um, arena, yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's interesting. Like, you know, I, you and I were both at Winter Fantasy, and we saw a lot of DM. You, you you ran? Did you run stuff at Winter Fantasy? No, I just played. Just played. So you know, but of course, we're always like staring at the DM and like scrutinizing, sure. like how how are they doing? And like, I'm going to take notes about this DM. So um, I do wonder if they need the description laid out, or if that the more words, the harder it is for them. Like, you know, especially if they have a time crunch of like, I got to get this adventure ready in 30 minutes. I'm like, if you could give them a 2000 word version of the adventure instead of a 7000 word, that's probably going to help them. It's maybe it's something that I've thought a lot about in the last 20 years. Yeah, right. (laughs) And and at this point, believe it or not, it's it's the we would like more words. That's interesting. um, Laid out in a way that makes it very easy for me to to run it. Right. Um, you know, with more description and more, uh, not not necessarily more box text, but more guidance, right, right, for for how you as the adventure writer see it going. Yeah, yeah, I, um, I, I think so. So um, I, I listened to you and uh, James Intercasso talking in the last, you know, last show, and James has yeah. a new idea for box text that he's been talking a lot about on on Twitter, and I think that a couple of products now have it included, which is sort of like readable bullet items, right? Sure. And and sort of that abbreviated version of read aloud text. And I, mm-hmm. I definitely think there's something something to that. You know, I'm still a sure. I'm still a box text guy myself. Like I still right. Ruins of the Grand Root has lots of box text in it. Yeah. But um you know I think that there's there's I'm I'm certainly coming around to the idea of like maybe you only use the box text for like the big rooms 
And then small rooms, you do one or two sentences that could practically be read aloud. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's I think that's fine. Uh, but I know that for, especially for Adventures League DMs, yeah. when they, they had that period of time when the rule for writers was no box text. Yeah, right. That's uh, probably the DMs were pulling their hair. Yeah, out. it's a little draconian. And, yeah. And, <laughs> and so, you know, and then they got the next set of adventures were like oh thank you there's box text again <laughs> well and it's it's um, a little unfortunate that they can't just say like hey you're adventure writers we assume you are going to do your best to try to do the right format for the thing you're writing sure but yeah. it's also i know in, in many circumstances adventures league writers might be relatively new to adventure writing so it, it, that happens true yeah. that happens as well yeah um but yeah so so the 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 quest um quest system kind of shorter more uh discreet adventure design where you can end after an hour and and not have to remember what spells you've cast remember your hit points remember what quest you're on and we'll come back next week it's just hey you just finished this quest excellent i know we've only played for 90 minutes but hey we'll we'll come back next week and we'll play for another 90 minutes um i think is a very strong way to introduce players to the game right Introduce DMs to the game, and then if they want that longer experience, there are ways for them to get that. Right. And I think that's how the Essentials, like you were talking about the Essentials kit working together with the starter set. Mm-hmm. I think that's a perfect example of having the best of both worlds possibly. Right, right. Yeah, it was it was really interesting because I've, I've been running the Essentials kit for another another some brand new players at my at my home. And um, it occurred to me, like, while I was running it, and I was having fun, and they're having fun, and they're learning D&D. And I was like, you know, on the other hand, like, the story that's happening here, where it's like the biggest deal is that some cultists are summoning a crazy, you know, storm boar. And, by the way, there's a dragon who's causing trouble. And then I was like, but then you think about the story of Tyranny of Dragons, right, where Tiamat is being brought up from the nine hells to take over the Sword Coast, or um, Tomb of Annihilation, where, you know, the Archlich of Sararak is going to, you know, is, is absorbing souls to, you know, create a new god. Mm-hmm. These huge epic adventures where there's so, there's so much bigger in scope and scale, and there's so much deeper opportunity for, for the characters to sort of get you know, written into the world around them than the quest system. So, that, you know, there's, there's an advantage and a disadvantage to it. I think it's, again, perfect as a good introduction for D&D. I think a lot of times we probably overcomplicate our D&D games mm-hmm. when we got to remember that the stories are going to, the stories happen at the table, right? The stories don't happen when we're writing or preparing our adventures. They happen when they run. And the more we're creating seeds for the story, and um, but it, but there is this like interesting on, on on the idea of comparing the the great big hardback epic adventures that Wizards of the Coast publishes you know a couple times a year with this very lightweight hey you know we need you to go talk to this person you know some gnomes are in trouble mm-hmm. and and why don't you go visit those crazy gnomes over in the cage yeah. right so, <laughs> and, get, and get shot with get, a get shot in the face with a crossbow so um, yeah so you know, yeah I love it. You know, and I also love that there is this such a wide range of the kinds of adventures we can mm-hmm. tell in D and D. So yeah. yeah, and and as it seems like they are slightly ramping up their release schedule, um, they are they are giving much more 
opportunity for DMs and players to pick the kind of adventure that they want. Yeah. So, then, and then, yeah, an interesting thing about that, and you might have more insight into this than I do. Um, but I think the, the the ramped up schedule was actually more happenstance than a than mm-hmm. a plan. Uh, I think what what Perkins said is that they have two different kinds of products. They have the ones that are on the on the big schedule that they're planned years in advance, and then what they called poos or mm-hmm. products of opportunity. Products of opportunity, right? Yep. And that th- those are like when Target comes to you and says, "Hey, we yep. we love the starter set. We want you to do another, and we need it in six months." Yep. And they're like, "Well, I guess we'll do the essentials kit, or right. you know, or acquisitions incorporated, or acquisitions, says, right? Hey. Right. It turns out those guys at Penny Arcade have been writing this book, and you know, you can either sue them into oblivion. I'm making this assumption. You can either sue them <laughs> into oblivion or bring them into the fold, right? Yeah. So you know, yeah. So so there's all the, and then I I, I don't know if the Matt Mercer thing was one or the other, like I got to assume they've been talking for a long time about this. I don't think Matt Mercer showed up at the door with a book and said, Hey, how would you like to have the wizard of the coast brand on this book? Right. Then you could be the number one best-selling book on Amazon. Exactly. (laughs) Before, before it even, before it even comes out. So, um, yeah, so I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm curious what the release schedule. We don't know, or I don't know, but you know, I'm curious what the release schedule for Wizards is like in the future. But I don't, yeah, I don't necessarily I, know that they are they are ramping it up. Right. Well, it's. I think you're right. I think it's been an accidental ramp up. Mm-hmm. Um, but with things like the DMs Guild, uh, where there's oh, just yeah. so much contact. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. That, that you outside can, of Wizards can, of the Coast, it's exploding. Yes. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean. The, the Kickstarter for the Cobalt Press's uh, Tome of yeah. Beast 2. Oh, my God. You know, th- their first one was like 200000 I was like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, $200,000. Yeah. They got 6,000 backers. And... Yeah, and now they have 400000 yeah. almost a half a yeah. million dollars. And, and Tolis, and you've got Monty Cook's Tolis yeah. Kickstarter yeah. is going gangbusters. And... Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, there's, there's just, there's enough content out there where if you have a, if you're a specific kind of DM, or if you're trying to figure out what kind of DM you are, yeah. or if you have a specific group of players. Or just want a bunch of stuff to read. Exactly. <laughs> like, I just love uh, living in other people's worlds. Yeah, and I'm t- I can't wait to just, you know, yeah, I want good, all this stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, anything else you wanted to mention about uh, the Essentials Kit uh, or teaching new players uh, or teaching new DMs uh, before we wrap up? No, the, the only thing, yeah, and then, you know, I think we beat it to death. Uh, is is you know to me the the thing that would make the D and D essentials kit perfect is a DM understanding the dangers of those first level adventures in the beginning, mm-hmm. and I okay. and I th- and hopefully they pick that up and and tweak it a little bit. It's really minor tweaks to fix it, but it can mm-hmm. make a I think can make for a much better experience. Or I could be wrong and everyone's enjoying it as is, <laughs> and I hope that's true. Right. I hope I'm wrong. Or DMs are figuring it out. Yeah, or DMs are figuring it out on their own. Hopefully, yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, Mike, thank you so much for uh, sharing your expertise with us on this uh, most important topic of D&D at this stage of its life. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a, I'm a huge fan of the show, and it was an absolute delight to get an email from you saying, hey, would you like to be I'm like, yes, I would. <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> and, hey, if you want to support the show, uh, there are many things you listeners out there could do to help. Uh, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash MMP. That helps us pay our hosting costs, edit the show, and so on. Um, if you can't help us monetarily, give us a review. Uh, tell people on social media that you like the show. Any of that would be super helpful, and we appreciate it. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin, or you can find me at the forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com. 
Mike, where can people find you on the internet? So the two best places are my website at slyflourish.com and on Twitter at twitter.com slash slyflourish. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Hey, Mike, what should we do now? Go kill some monsters. Woo! I had my cheat sheet right here. You did. Get down with D&D. Sweet. Get down with D&D. Get down with D&D. Down with D&D. Down with D&D. Down with D&D. I'm down with D&D. Who's down with D&D?